afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 54 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm Amon Woman. This week, get your armbands out because we are diving into deep water. <laughs> Disney Plus serves up some meaty rom-com troubles in fresh. Craig Roberts returns to the director's chair with the biopic The Phantom of the Open. And open up Google Maps because we are taking a trip to Paris, 13th District. Plus, in this week's hot take, we break down the Miss Marvel trailer. Yay, she's here, but why can't she stretch? Mm. Lots, lots, lots to discuss. But first, let's check in with our crew. Uh, how is Clarice Fury? <laughs> yeah, I have, an, I have an eye infection. It's not cool. It's not like a cool cat story behind it. Uh, but I have a movie recommendation that a movie I watched today, uh, Master, directed by Mariama Diallo, which is just on Prime Video now. I thought it was great. It's a horror movie set on a college campus about uh, well, there's sort of two. Is it out now? Characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's on. It's on. It like. Have we all seen it? I haven't seen it. Oh, okay, because I reinforced this recommendation. <laughs> 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 it very very quietly dropped on Prime Video because it was at was it at Sundance? Yeah, that's when I saw yeah. it, and I was like, oh, and it was in my roundup of some of the best. I thought it was really well done like a horror movie but then you realize the real horror is just america <laughs> yeah because yeah it's about so it's sort of there's two main characters two black women there's the freshman on a college campus and then the new black master who's like the in charge of the house i don't really understand how it works but it's a like very official position within college campuses and she's the first black woman to have that position um and it's sort of their overlapping stories. Like she's Professor over... McGonagall. <laughs> yeah. Head of Gryffindor. But like she's yes. head of this house. That's why I feel like that's how I kind of, in my oh, head, is that's that what, what it is. Oh, I think that's okay. what it is. It's like you have someone, a professor, who kind of is like in charge of, of the, the dorms, of the kind of groups. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, as you said, it's really interesting the way it interweaves like there's different ghost elements and also real horror real life horror uh and sort of the the idea that the the bridge of history (laughs) the gap between then and now is not as expansive as a lot of people might think it is and i thought it was awesome it was really spooky and like really well directed as well Mm. and regina hall is fantastic yeah. She's never not fantastic. She's so great. This is really, like, I mean, it's not my favourite Regina Hall film to come out of Sundance. Uh, Hong for Jesus, Save Your Souls. I cannot wait for you guys to see that. But this is, like, I just feel like I love the way that Regina Hall is, like, she's been overlooked for so many years, but she really does have the range. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys saw Nine Perfect Strangers, but she is so good in that. She's <laughs> so perfect and it's quite, like, slightly deranged housewife kind of who's come to this this wellness retreat and there's just always something like she ready she's ready to snap at any moment and she just yeah she just gives it hell I loved her in it uh so yeah I mean I don't know about the whole series but I quite enjoyed it it was a bit kind of I don't know schlocky you know what I mean it wasn't I wasn't asking mm. for too much but if you want Nicole Kidman to do one of her famous accents <laughs> I think the last film I saw Regina Hall in was Support the Girls, which I absolutely loved. Mm. Um, that movie's great. Yeah. 
and she's in the Hate You Give as well, which is also decent. She's she's always been good. I'm glad that she's getting some shine. But she's always been supporting. I feel like she's often too often she's too often been like supporting characters, and the, and the roles haven't flexed her muscles. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They've been somewhat safe. Like she's a very good comedic actor, but she's also very good at drama. Um, and I think when she kind of is able to kind of push it out a bit more and go a bit weird, I think that you really you really get like what, what you really understand just how good she is and what she can do really. Mm-hmm. It's taken us so long to figure out that comedians are also good at dramatic acting. Well, <laughs> I always think that comedians can do dramatic acting better than dramatic actors can do comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've because most comedians are really depressed anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Comedy is like the defense mechanism, isn't it? It's like, don't look at my despair. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've ever met a comedian without depression. Aman, <laughs> <Yeah. Hey-o. laughs> have you done anything special this week? Uh, not this week, especially, but I want to take this opportunity to say thank you again for... Uh, coming to my birthday shindig and for your lovely present which I'm currently wearing um, <laughs> uh, uh, I should probably clarify for the listeners it is a t-shirt uh, of Batman Mask of the Phantasm also known as the best Batman film of all time um, we nailed so... it <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh, I love it I wear it with pride Thank yeah you. yeah it was so funny we, we, where, where did we what was the place called Smokestack Smokestack yeah oh shout Smokestack <laughs> Yeah. There was too many of us around this table, that but there was, there was a lot of meat, and yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> Very good meat. It was just a lot, yeah. Good meat. Good. It was good meeting. <laughs> well met. Hey. Well meated. <laughs> um, a meat cute. <laughs> like, it's because you know we're reviewing fresh. This like me segue. That's not even the first film we're covering. I wish but... we should we just change it and make it. If that it was, <laughs> that would have been an incredible segue. <laughs> yeah. It was quite funny when we were unveiling the present um, because uh, you know it came in this in this nice bag, and I was like, okay, okay, I'm gonna open Hannah okay. present now. The first thing that comes out of the bag is a mask. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it, was, it, it was also my Palestine mask because I've got like a I've got a Palestine flag mask, and also annoyingly because like when you wear lipstick, it all comes in. So we probably saw this really dirty mask. Like, what the fuck's this? I was like, no, and that was yeah. It was an attempt to kind of get it, to radicalize him into my cause. <laughs> but yeah, did you find the other thing in there as well? We gave you a little. There was a little. Searchlight pictures. What was it? There's like a little card holder. Did you not see it in there? <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> I oh, well, it was at... there. Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I have a little card Anyway, while you have a look for that, <laughs> uh, let's listen to the Deep Water trailer. Why is mom so different around other people? I think this is who she is. You love me? Of course. You're not born. No. The fact that she's comfortable flaunting all these relationships around all of us, you're better than that. Like a bridge over troubled waters. Mm. 
Yes, and it is very, <laughs> very troubled in the waters located outside the home of Ben Affleck and Ada de Armas. Yes, this is an adaptation of the Patricia Highsmith novel of the same name. It follows Vic, who is a wealthy former tech designer, living in a marriage of mind games with his younger wife, Melinda, after a joke about a missing man, also a former friend with benefits of Melinda's, arouses suspicion in his small-town community, Vic seemingly becomes embroiled in a series of murders. Is he just joking, or is he acting upon it? Also, snails. Directed by Adrian... (laughs) (laughs) Directed by Adrian Lyne, who famously did Fatal Attraction, Nine and a Half Weeks, Unfaithful, Lolita... Uh, it's written by Zach Helms and Sam Levinson of Euphoria fame. Uh, it stars Ben Affleck as Vic, Anna de Armas as Melinda, Tracy Letts, Jacob Lordy, and Lil Rel Howie. Also, there was, oh, I can't remember her name, but there was an actress in it who played like this TV version of Cher in Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know her as. It's always like, it's like, oh, it's her who's like the fake Cher. <laughs> so. Okay, this is, I'm quite excited to talk about this because I think we're all coming to different conclusions. I know myself and Clarice have very opposing views. Okay, so I think first of all, let's, 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 I think the biggest question here, is it sexy? (laughs) Or I think I suppose the question is, is it sexy? Is it supposed to be sexy? And I think that that comes and then that creates the, the kind of, I suppose, a difference in point of perspectives from people watching it. Clarice, tell me your thoughts. <laughs> no and no. <laughs> it's about sex, but I think for me, you know, we we got put aside the fact that it's Adrian Lyne for a second. Just erase that name from your <laughs> memory because I think that's tripping people up because he's so famous for making, you know, these super eroticized and erotic movies uh for me this reminded me a lot more of the like the bad marriage movies like who's afraid of a virginia wolf or eyes wide shut or uh or uh, the angel yeah, is sexy <laughs> that happened as i thought hannah <laughs> yeah but it's a, i think it's about, it's about like having like those ma- those really famous couples in a movie where they play people who like do not they do not like each other (laughs) and i find that tension like external and internal tension really interesting and that's what really worked for me about it it is a movie about like the this this man and this woman despise each other on a fundamental level but they are still individually so desperate over for control over each other and they they have very different ways of achieving that you know Ben Affleck is maybe murdering people (laughs) or at least his form of control is he likes the idea that you know this Melinda is his only woman like that she can't see anybody else like it's just those two people while Melinda like she likes the competition like it's very heavily implied that she sort of wants her husband to have an affair and it's it's this film length mind game i guess where you're you you have an obvious sympathy with the party who is not involved in any murdering (laughs) but it's still like really fascinating to see like those interactions 
and like some of the shit that they say to each other i found hysterical and how awful it was like they're having a dinner party and uh he's talking about their first date and she ordered the mac and cheese it's like oh you ordered off the kids menu so you could save room for booze it's like fuck (laughs) these people do not like each other i like that it's an ugly grossy nasty movie Mm. okay i'm one do you agree uh, to answer your earlier questions, Hannah, no and yes. Um, because this film is billed as an erotic thriller, and the eroticism was, was lacking a little bit um, for me. And it's especially disappointing given you know, that Ben Affleck and Anna Armas were in uh, a relationship. Um, so you would expect more of that to come through on screen uh, than what we got. And yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about this film and how it's nice that we're getting films like this in 2022 because back in the day, like 30 years ago, we'd get this film on a regular basis. I think if you had this film and you stack it up to the types of films we were getting in this genre 30 years ago, then the difference between the two would really become very, very clear. And I feel like given what this film is billed as, given who the stars are, I expected more of that sexiness to come through than did, ultimately. I, I, I want to, like, when you said, this is where we maybe fundamentally disagree on, like, so many elements of it, because where you say they despise... <laughs> but, uh, Clarice, okay. where you said they despise one of each other, that would suggest there's actually some sort of fierce emotion in... There's, like, a really, like ridiculous amount of emotion felt by these people like you can have people hating each other but also be passionate when they're in mm. where they're together where you feel that emanating it kind of it comes through and you just know that that the line between love and hate can be very thin because I think they also talk about that fundamentally they're still together there's a reason why and maybe you can say it's a control issue it seems to me that this person in some way does love his wife. He, she does love her. There's a real complication there that does not, that the script or the characterization does not uh, explore enough or go deep enough. It's quite mundane. And that's my problem with it. I feel like, you know, there is a moment where, where they've come back, they come back and they finally have sex. Because apparently she's, they're, they're sleeping in different rooms. And there's a bit where she goes, eat my ass. And it's just like, this is just, this just feels formulaic. This feels this feels like a pedestrian. It feels like someone has written it and doesn't really understand the language that people might use in those moments towards each other. And that's for me felt like this seems this is why I'm surprised. And you can say take Adrian Line away from his history, but you can't divorce that. You can't divorce what this man's been able to achieve um, in 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 creating. Like I was watching Unfaithful after watching this movie, <laughs> and it's just the way it kind of luxuriates in the female form and and understands the desire that Diane Lane I think it's amazing film just really her owning her sexuality and I feel like you could have had that especially in the moments where it isn't just kind of um you know Vic and Melinda I don't know I I feel the way it was shot the editing often erratic it it I don't know if, especially and also when you look at what Sam Levinson's been doing with Euphoria, <laughs> um, I don't know. It just felt like this is. I, I I expected 
um, I expected more darkness mixed with the neurotic and desire. And I feel like that is what this script was in trying to do, but actually it wasn't delivering because the just it was just kind of a very basic <laughs> um, <laughs> adaptation. Um, and I think let's talk about this as an adaptation. Um, and we've seen um, Talented Mr. Ripley. That was a Patricia Highsmith novel. Um, and also this fundamentally changes the ending of the story. I suppose then, you know, as a, as a character study, uh, meant to be a character study of like, I don't know, the masculinity. I think she's very interested in amoral men. Um, I think we've seen Matt Damon nail it. <laughs> with, <laughs> I think he's just, he, he just, he just understood Tom Ripley so well. How do we uh, how do we feel about Ben Affleck in this role? Going from you know we saw him in uh, Gone Girl playing the kind of uh, well Gillian Flynn was very much influenced by Patricia Highsmith and she loves the novel Deepwater. Interestingly enough, mm. how do you think Ben Affleck I don't know portrays this type of man? Also with the switches that I don't know if you are aware of some of the switches, Clarice from the book to another book. Yeah. Mm. Take it from, take it from there. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's interesting you say the, the book as a, a portrait of masculinity and the change to the ending here for me is to make the film less a portrait of like individual, just, just of masculinity, but to create more of like an equal playground between the, the wife and the husband. And it becomes more about both of them which i i think for this type of movie which it's not really grounded in reality so much it's more about like a high concept notion of sex and desire i would argue though i think this movie is about the lack of desire because it's like they fuck but that do they really desire each other i think they could be two very different things <laughs> and um yeah and, and i and i think to have the ending that's in the book, which without spoiling it, is one that is very grounded in our reality in a, uh, I think, quite upsetting way. I think by shifting the ending away from that, we're, we're able to bring everything back into the, the slightly fantastical where it's just like a little bit more f fun <laughs> to explore. And it's more about just the pure emotions of it and not really about the material consequences of these people's actions which is sorry you asked about Ben Affleck I'm going off about no else. no I think this contextualizes it so go on okay I'll add, I'll add one more thing that I for me as well this movie is very much about wealth because most of the scenes they're going to these parties that, like are really weird because they a seem lot of parties quite guys tame. <laughs> yeah like, they seem quite tame because it's like the most they do is that they smoke some weed and they bake cookies but the way that some of these are, are shot it's like like a last days of rome orgy style in the way in how erratic it's <laughs> in the like very erratic way that it's shot and it like in the opening scene they're at a party and again it's just a very boring like rich people party but the camera cuts to like these masks and these like sort of semi kink objects but you never see any kind of kink so it's like to me it's 
that sort of symbolizes recklessness and it's just about like very rich people who are so rich that they don't don't give a shit about what they do or the and everything is a game to them and another change for example is the fact that Ben Affleck's character in this movie uh his job is that he like invented the microchip that they put in drones yeah but in the book like, he's like uh he's like inherited a publishing house or something and makes books exactly <laughs> because because in the in the context of this movie about recklessness of wealth it's like he everyone questions him going um yeah you thought about the fact that these drones are used to kill people and he says well they could be used to <laughs> airlift food to starving orphans they're like but they don't no. do they and he's like yeah <laughs> that's what also what frustrates me about it it's like you made him into you it's like oh, we need to make him more immoral. And it kind of dampens the effect of his potential for... Because that's the point of it. I think the whole point of the, the whole story is the potential for the everyday man to to commit a crime, to commit violent crimes. Is there that in every man? And I think by already... By then changing the sort of kind of characterization where you say, oh, he's a former tech designer and he's living of it, you're kind of like... Oh well, then he's he's already got he's already immoral. So you kind of take him take him away from being the average Joe. And I don't know how you feel about this, Amon, but on Ben Affleck as the choice of of the lead in this, for me, I think he's totally miscast. I think it needed someone like Ben Mendelsohn. I think someone who is because Ben Affleck is like really hot, <laughs> like he's a really good looking guy, but he also lacks. I don't know. He's he's just a very straight person. I don't look at him and think that there's a whole lot going on behind behind his eyes. And every time he looked, every time he was looking at his wife, all I could think about was a sad Affleck meme. (laughs) It was just like looking at him, just seeing his face like that. I was like, that's all you look like, my dude. Like, I didn't feel like there was like a, I don't know, the depths of a kind of the cogs whirring in his head. I just didn't believe him. I didn't believe him at all um, in any of the moments, especially when it gets into the kind of more ridiculous 80s 90s like violent kind of thriller of it all where you know mm. bodies start rolling <laughs> and, like, and even literally, like the snails literally. and stuff I don't know and then Tracy <laughs> Letts gets involved and um, so Amon how do you think how did you like Ben Affleck's and I suppose in I just talk about casting anyway like what did you think mm. about the cast in general yeah I more or less agree with what you're saying about sad flick um but I think part of that is to do with the script not helping him elevate the performance, not giving him enough to play with. Because my part of my issue with this is that it feels quite repetitive. Like, I think there's like three times over the course of the film that uh, Vic uh, sees Melinda cheating, then he gets mad, then there's a confrontation, and then it starts over again. And I wanted more from that. I wanted to... I wanted a little bit more introspection on the relationship itself, clearly outlining the stakes um, of the film. Again, this is a this is an erotic thriller, and the eroticism isn't there, and the thrills for me weren't really there either. Um, but I thought Anna de Armas was really, really good, very sensual all the way through, very passionate. I thought she was very, very well cast. Um, and yeah, I just on the Ben Affleck side, I wanted more both on an actor level and a screenplay level, I think, mm. to really make that performance pop. I certainly feel like Anna Diarmas made an unlikable character empathetic. Like, you could yes. empathise, and in a way, the way she played it 
And I suppose maybe that's the kind of, I suppose they're trying to do a female feminist version of this story. Like equality, let's uh, make her seem like, oh, she's a trophy wife who maybe got trapped into having a baby and she didn't want it. So you kind of empathize with her there. Um, Clarice, how did you feel about that as well? Because also I just feel like Andy Armas is just, just sexy as fuck anyway. Like I don't think that she had to try. Like that's, I don't think that was her, you know, there's, she's not, she's, that's one thing I didn't think she had to worry about. <laughs> there's a couple shots in this film where I'll just like, man. All right, save it for the exit section. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why can't I say that? I just, you know, I just acknowledge you oh, that what this is shots? a couple person. Did you screen grab them? Have you wank banked them? <laughs> oh my gosh. You didn't even reply to my message uh, earlier this week. <laughs> but it's fine. I wanted to make you awkward, feel awkward by leaving you hanging. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're like, wait, is yeah. this too far? To be fair, to be fair, listeners, he did say, <laughs> I've added Anna de Armas to my harem. So, I don't know what connotations you were thinking well, about no, that. Well, <laughs> no, hold on. That is a joke that you made on an earlier pod that I am being, that I was bringing back in a funny way, at least also that I thought, and you just left me hanging, and I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll come too far. It's only funny when I, a woman, says it. <laughs> I'm on. Not you, a man. We're claiming we're back. Harem. Harem. Is oh, it harem? Gosh. Harem? Harem. Harem, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I never really say that word out loud. So there we go. The Harem is Hannah's. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that because it's in the Hamilton song. It's in the what song? It's in the Hamilton song. Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. The word Harem is in the Hamilton song. I can't remember exactly which one, but I know that's I know that it's pronounced that way because of that song. So thank you, Hamilton, again. Anyway. <laughs> Hamilton, stay educating. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, let's wrap this up, I feel. Um, I, I suppose then five... I don't know what else to say about this. Was there anything else that kind of stood out for you that's worth uh, mentioning, Clarice? Snails. I feel like you haven't talked about snails yet. Snails are great. I love the snails. Uh, Roxana Hadidi, by the way, has done like a 2,000-word essay on Vulture about snails. Wow. In deep water and Patricia High in this high Smith novels, if you fancy mm. going deep. she was deep. really obsessed with snails. I think that's... Yeah, uh, she was. Apparently she was. Well, I read, you read it. like 2,000 word it. essay on it. Good grief. <laughs> it's actually really interesting. I'm uh, sure. She's a great, I think, she's a great I think writer. Rosanna I think appreciated this movie far more than I did. Uh, but, yeah. you know, that's why we have diversity of thoughts and critics. <laughs> um, yeah, those snails are kind of weird. <laughs> I, I think Snails in a way, after reading Roxana's piece where she kind of talks about the book and it's like, see, this is a problem of adaptation. The, the book seems to have far delved into it in a far deeper way, whereas this is quite... And this is what I think the problem with the whole thing is uh, it just felt very superficial and surface level and mm-hmm. kind of was trying to do a lot of things and kind of missing the mark, um, skimming the surface of what could have been really interesting character study. Um and I also think it pulled its punches, especially with the ending. I would have preferred the original ending because uh, I think that would have been more, I don't know. I think that would have, it would have made more sense to me uh, as a viewer, but. Interesting. I'm, I'm the opposite. I like for this specific adaptation, I like that they changed the ending. Mm-hmm. Not that the book ending is worse. Um but yeah, I just I like this. I like the, the snails. I just really enjoy the moment where uh, Finn Whitrock comes to visit him in his snail house. <laughs> <laughs> ben Affleck's like showing him the snails, and he's like, 
cool. <laughs> and there's a really long pause where he's just looking at the snails being like, okay. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Maybe we got it totally wrong. Maybe it's actually supposed snails. to be a, car- com- a comedy. And it was just I, think, I think it's funny. I someone do the, someone to needs to edit. Funny. Someone needs to edit a trailer of it if it was a comedy. I Maybe mean, that would you be. Say, you say comedy. The funniest line in the film for me, Tracy Letts in the car, goddamn fucking autocorrect. That was great. <laughs> like, that's funny. I think it's meant to be funny in the way that, like, Euphoria is kind of funny. Like, it's not really, funny, but it's funny, you know? I've tried with that show. No, I, I want to no, try again because... It's actually funny. Like, okay. it is meant to... I think it is funny. Like, so many places, not in this, like, accidental funny. Okay. Do you think wanna... it was intentional, the, the, the joke? I think some of it was definitely intentional. I don't think it's meant to 100% be taken, like... Seriously. Like, just, there's no way the beat of him staring at the snails is not meant to be funny. <laughs> because if it was not meant to be funny, they would not have held the camera so long on him looking at the snails. Going. Maybe they're trying to build tension. And mom, what do you think? What do you want? <laughs> I thought it was intentionally funny at parts. I mean, <laughs> uh, there were a couple of times when... um come on the, the exact quote but Ben Affleck's character's like fun fact about something oh it's gonna annoy me um, oh and he's like you you have to you have to uh, starve the snails yeah for 24 hours otherwise <laughs> it's poisonous yeah and again Finn Wittrock rocks like cool yeah. <laughs> I don't know wait, wait, stop talking about snails sir <laughs> I'd be so intrigued to watch this with an audience I think it would be a really interesting experience just on a funny not funny oh no i i definitely think at some point it's going to be like a late night come get drunk and watch deep water type of vibe (laughs) you know that's what i think it's going to be like in the future okay (laughs) until that until that moment uh (laughs) listeners will have to watch via prime video or not (laughs) depending on whose opinion you care about the most uh so let's do it uh stream or skip clarice stream Stream it. Okay, I'm on. This is a tricky one for me. I am going to say stream. Mm, okay. Well, I'm going to say skip. <laughs> Live your life. <laughs> I'll probably read the novel maybe instead. Uh, I might do that. After reading, like, you know when you don't read a novel and then you read about, you see a bad ad- ad- what you believe is a bad adaptation of it. You're like... Now I want to read the book. <laughs> That's how I feel. Okay, so from uh, one one crazy, overpaid, frivolous, privileged white man with murderous tendencies to another. <laughs> this is fresh. What's going on? I'm going to tell you, but you're going to freak out. No, this isn't happening. Yeah, it's happening. No games. Know what you wanted? about giving giving yourself over to somebody ain't nobody don't ask me i'm just so fresh so, so fresh, fresh and so, so clean, clean. clean. <laughs> <laughs> now not so clean though <laughs> oh, really not so clean my goodness before, before we get into this film i actually want to stress this from the jump 
if you can, go into Fresh as fresh as possible. If you're interested in this film, watch it and then come back. Because that is the best way to experience this film. Just trust me on that. But if you don't mind spoilers and want to continue listening, then here is the synopsis for Fresh. Uh, we've got Noah, played by Daisy Edgar-Jones, who is thoroughly disenchanted with the dating scene when she meets a charming stranger by the name of Steve, Sebastian Stan, in a supermarket. After agreeing to go away with him for the weekend, despite being warned against it by friend Molly, played by Jojo T. Gibbs, she's shocked to discover that Steve has some unusual appetites. Unusual might be an understatement here. Uh, the film... I wonder what this movie's <laughs> about. <laughs> <laughs> the film is directed by Mimi Cave, her directorial debut, and it's written by Lauren Kahn. Wow. Okay, so where to start with Fresh? I've already you know, done like a mini spoiler warning, so I'm just going to get right into it. Something big happens 30 minutes into this movie, uh, which flips the whole movie, the whole tone, the whole genre on its head. What did you think of that tonal shift and how uh, that was managed, Clarice? I think, like, can we just say what it is? Because it's literally the poster gives it away. <laughs> yeah. I've done a spoiler warning, so people have been I warned. Like, Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I knew exactly what it was going in. I don't think it changed. But I think it's a very, like, it's a neat metaphor to go, oh, you know, isn't date, doesn't dating girls, gals, gals, doesn't <laughs> dating make you feel like a real slab of meat? <laughs> literally. <laughs> It's a meat it's, market. <laughs> exactly. Meat cute. They have a meat cute. Like, it's funny, and I laughed, and I enjoyed it. I think that part of it is smart. But I will say, I by the end of this movie, I'd kind of... I was off the, the fresh wagon, because... Yeah, felt pretty It sad. just... It, it doesn't... It's not able to go beyond that initial joke. And I think it, it keeps trying to say something. And I have no idea what it's trying to say. And I got so frustrated by the end. And I, I feel like if this wanted to just be like a horror comedy about, oh my God, Sebastian, Sebastian Stan, man, oh man. Sorry, that's TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, him being a cannibal, make a movie about, you know, this hot man being a cannibal. Great. Make that movie. But there's a real effort in this to create like a feminist discourse and like there's a lot of the lines that feel like 101 feminist like there's a mo moment where this women who are being kept captive by sebastian stan are like don't it's never your fault you know it's not your fault remind yourself it's not and it's like uh, that's too close to home because that's a th real thing that people that uh, victims of assault and abuse need to tell each other and I feel like taking something so sensitive and just like smacking it into this movie about fun cannibal guy I, I understand the intention I just didn't think it worked it just did not work for me yeah no I I, I, I had it was fun like it was fun until it wasn't and then you kind of like all the cliches coming through and then the kind of like weird shoehorned in ways of like slut shaming her uh, sleeping with someone or you know and then the kind of tokenistic black best friend who also is gay by the way because apparently black all black best friends have to be queer in this day and age of representation let's get all the tick boxes I find that is frequently happening a lot whenever I see female characters 
who are black, they're often played and it's fine, you know. Um, but also it was kind of ridiculous that once again, she's having to turn up and save, <laughs> try and save her friend. And then another black guy has to turn up and try and save it. But then, you know, it all gets a bit, I don't know. It's so, so self-aware of all the kind of tropes, but still uses them and thinks it's doing enough to kind of flip them on their heads, but they're not. Also, just fundamentally, I watch this film and just think, couldn't be me. Like, <laughs> as if I would go away for the weekend um, with someone that I've just met to a cabin. It's, again, like, sometimes I feel like... <laughs> sometimes I feel, and this is after watching Tinder Swindler as well, it's like... <laughs> Some people need to stop living their lives like a romantic comedy and actually get with the reality of life. And I get this again, trying to like hint on that, but there's also, it just, yeah, it just didn't really ring through that much. And then, I don't know. Yeah. I just, it kind of, once you kind of knew what the conceit was, that was it. And you're just waiting for things to be better. And then it just, it tries to just like, I don't know, pop feminist fist pump. And it just it didn't really hit it for me as well. Mm. So, but you know, fun, <laughs> fun at moments. <laughs> like, and then, and I will say, Sebastian Stan is part of the reason why I quite enjoy it because I think you know, he, him right now, he's just like <laughs> going to town. He's like, Winter Soldier is too boring. He's too, he's so <laughs> quiet and safe. Let me, let me loose. Let me loose and uh, uh, stay loose, Sebastian. Stay loose. Yeah, now I fully agree with you on Sebastian Stan. He really made my skin crawl. Um, at points in this. And he's also really sort of funny. There's a dance that he does uh, at one point in the film, which really <laughs> made me chuckle. Um, but let's talk a bit more about the performances. We mentioned Sebastian Stan. What do you think of Daisy Edgar Jones in this? Because I watched her in Normal People a few months back, and I thought she was great in that. Um, very, very bright future ahead of her. And I feel like, especially once the conceit of the movie was revealed, her performance only got better and better. What do you think of her performance skills? I think I she did what she could, but I found this character very limiting. Um, right, I won't give this away, but like, there is a thing that her character does in this movie that I think for a lot of people would cross a moral line, which is, I'm not saying that the film shouldn't have done it, but it's very weird for me that she does this thing and then the movie just drops it. <laughs> doesn't interrogate like what effect it would have on her you know what does it say about like if we're t making this a feminist metaphor what does it say about um god i'm trying to not spoil it like if you're trying to escape patriarchy is it impossible to do that totally unblemished that would be a great that would be a great you know thing to explore in a film but this movie just like gets her to do something and then, you know, in her performance, there's, like, no reaction to it. And I was like, but I feel like this is a thing that we should talk about. And you didn't. You just left it. This is a good point. Also, there's a weird, Couldn't like, the race, there's a big race thing in it as well, isn't there? Yeah. There is a yeah. big race thing in it that's kind of not really addressed too much. Because also there's, I don't know, the type of women who are captured. I don't know, kind of, that felt like it wasn't interrogated too much either i don't know there's a lot of things that kind of try to say but actually just doesn't have the, the person writing it might just not have the range to to be able to probe it without losing the sense of a beat you know what i mean do you remember like yeah. do you remember that do you remember that movie 10 things i hate about you 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not yes. 10 Things I Hate About You. Sorry. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I can't believe there's oh, two yes. rom-coms with 10 in the title. <laughs> but anyway, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. And there's a bit where they're having like the, the kind of magazine meeting. It says, this is about um, child starvation. But you know, a beat. <laughs> this feels it like the movie that. equivalent of like that. It's like, let's take something dark, but let's keep it like upbeat. But again, superficially... Also, I don't know, I don't know why it is, like, Daisy Edgar Jones, I find her just fine. <laughs> I think she is, I could not, I can't differentiate herself from, like, I don't think there's anything to me that's kind of stood out, even watching normal people, <laughs> and this, I just, I, I'm not seeing the wow factor that everyone else is seeing. I kind of compare it to, I don't know, what's her face, Honest Winton Burn. Mm. Is that a name in, in mm-hmm. Souvenir? I just think there's a very particular white British actress who does one thing, gets cast in everything, and I don't... And I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. So, yeah. It's just like the, the kind of production line of white British actresses. <laughs> but Hannah, just, she's got bangs. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so, I mean, look, she's Who doesn't fine. doesn't love a woman with bangs? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the next thing she's going to do is Star Wars, I swear to God. For sure. Kennedy, Kennedy is like, boop, 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 yeah. boop, boop. But that's what I mean. Like, I'm not saying she's not like a good, but I don't find her that interesting. I do not, wasn't like, whoa, what an amazing performance. I think she got outmatched, she was outmatched by Sebastian Stan um, and uh, the actress who played her best friend. Was it Jojo? Yeah, Jojo T. Gibbs. Yeah, I thought she, it's like, I wanted. Like, you know, when you're watching a film and you kind of wish I'm more interested in everyone else apart from the lead, like everyone else, not the lead. That's how I felt about this. And it's not saying she's not like a good actress. It's just she's not she's not doing anything that really makes me feel like, oh, wow, this is someone to watch. This is really interesting. I did not expect to come into this discussion being the one who liked Fresh more. It feels like we're beating up on this movie a little bit. I really enjoyed, really enjoyed this movie, I think. Um... Again, that tonal shift is about as good as that type of, you know, big twist storytelling gets me. I thought it was really, really well done and really, really well handled. I really liked the performances. I really liked, again, maybe it's a, maybe to your point, Hannah, it's a bit superficial, but the commentary that we do get on the modern dating landscape, I think, is interesting as well. They're playing with interesting things here. And yeah, as as a whole, you know, I watched this uh, in uh, a big crowd, a very sort of engaged audience who are like, you know, shouting things at the screen, that type of thing. And it was really, really fun being in that atmosphere with this type of vibe, with that type of vibe, watching this film. And while, yes, there is a bit of Black Best Friend syndrome in this film, watching Black characters in horror films making smart decisions will never get old. It will always be funny to me. I mean, is it a smart decision? Is it a smart... Does she make smart decisions? I don't think she does. I was thinking more of the black man at the end. Um, okay, so yeah. there you go. Um, <laughs> but, like, I, I think... I look, and I, I feel like I'm ragging on this film a lot. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a very enjoyable watch. But I also think it's the movie that people who didn't like Promising Young Woman wanted from it. Like, they wanted this kind of big revenge sort of yeah doing that and sure that's fine but I just don't like and it's fun as a whole whatever but like I don't I I think I think on a sense of what trying to themes and trying to 
points it was trying to make, I don't think, I think it kind of, um, it got a bit diluted, <laughs> diluted with a lot of things <laughs> and didn't come across I, as strong. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Promising Young Woman because the one thing I wanted to also bring up is like, are we, is it, are we past the point where I can spoil Promising Young Woman? I think so. Oh, I do. No. No, you do it. You go for it. It's done. The statues of limitations <laughs> you know, are over for that now. I think, like, for me, watching Promising Young Woman and the, the mask slip moment with Bo Burnham's character, like, that gut punch was so, like, I wanted to throw it. Like, it felt so real and it was so horrific. And watching this movie, like, I can't be honest, the whole time I was like, I don't... I didn't find that character threatening because he's such a fantastical version of dangerous masculinity that it's like, I don't know, am I meant to be scared by him? When he's like, you're being a bad girl. I was like, is this meant to be like hot? Like, I don't, <laughs> it's like, it's such a weird, and I think that was the issue for me. It, it's trying to do the like, the fun horror comedy kind of, uh, not camp, but like, the the quite stylish cannibal movie but to do that it takes away from anything that feels real and it's like i can't what i didn't watch this movie and go wow that's really what it's like because i've never been in a situation where like sebastian's dad <laughs> dancing around a kitchen really you haven't like, I'm to, when he's like <laughs> i'm taking your ass like that's never happened to me it's quite like it's quite funny but just in a very very dark way and i think that for me was the that's the central issue with this movie i did like the gore though i think the gore was really well done i don't like the way that the, the food preparation there's a lot i think it looks it's quite aesthetically pleasing, I think, for a horror film, for sure. Yeah, the the meat, because obviously they just used like non-people meat. <laughs> like, the meat, the meat looks quite good, and I didn't. I'm like, like am I? Am I a cannibal? And he was like carving up what was, you know, quite obviously actual prosciutto. I was like, oh, I can really do with some prosciutto right now. <laughs> I want a charcuterie board. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> it's time for our stream or skip recommendations on Fresh that is available to watch on Disney Plus right now. Clarice. I think I'm going to say skip for Ooh. this. And like, either if you haven't seen Promising Young Woman, I'm sorry for spoiling it, <laughs> but <laughs> can watch that. Or if you want to watch a great cannibal movie, watch Raw. That's a good movie. Or, or maybe something like, uh, what was it? What's the one with about, um, what's it called? Cherry Falls? Is that what it's called? Is it one where she becomes, um, uh, she goes, gets her period and becomes a werewolf? Have you seen mm. that one? Oh, is, that, is that, oh my God, is that Ginger Snaps? Ginger is Snaps, that that's it. Yes. Not Cherry Falls. Ginger Snaps. And I feel that's kind of cannibalistic because... I mean, she's a wolf, but she's still eating people. Um, I'm going to say stream because I do think it's fun. I had a lot more fun watching this than I did Deep Water. Like, a a significant amount more fun watching this than Deep Water, so stream. It has its issues, but... (sighs) (laughs) A very (laughs) half-hearted stream, if ever there was one. uh, But I am going with a full-blooded stream. I really enjoyed this. Um... Maybe it was because of the environment I was in when I was watching it, but if you can find an enthusiastic crowd to go and see this with, 
or I say to go see this with, to, to stream this with, um, then I think you'll have a lot of fun. Um, the blood count in the next movie is significantly lower because uh, we're talking about The Phantom of the Open. I didn't choose golf. It more it chose me. It was destiny. Ah, sorry! Flippin' neck. Where I come from, the only job was the shipyard. But I did have ambitions, of course. If you could do anything in the old world, what would you do? Drink Guinness. <laughs> Pretty soon. My own dreams were put on hold. Stop this stupid dancing near the TV. It's not stupid. Because I had a family now. Oh, I can't shut it! The Phantom of the Open is here. He's on the green. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this is The Phantom of the Open, which follows Maurice. Uh, oh, fuck, because English people say Morris, don't they? No, Morris. I'm going with Maurice. <laughs> you can't stop me. <laughs> this is The Phantom of the Open, which follows Maurice Flitcroft, played by Mark Rylands, a dreamer and unrelenting optimist who managed to gain entry to the British Open Golf Championship qualifying in 1976 and subsequently shot the worst round in Open history, becoming a folk hero in the process. So this is written by Simon Farnaby, who also stars and co-wrote the biography it's based on. It's directed by Craig Roberts, and it stars Sally Hawkins, Reese Ifans, Jake Davies, and twins Jonah Lees and Christian Lees. So this is another British underdog story. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird that you did that accent, though, because I feel a bit like you should be like, it's another British underdog story. I can't do that. Can't do Northern. <laughs> so that's just my generic British accent. Okay. So I can't do the Northern one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't trying to erase the North. I apologize. The North remembers Clarice. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting watching this. I was going, gosh, this story structurally is very similar to the Duke that we covered a couple of weeks ago. And Amon, I wondered you know, within this framework of, uh, yeah, British underdog stories. Oh my God, I can't believe the story is actually real. Genre of films. Where does The Phantom of the Open fit in? Yeah, it'll be quite high on my list in terms of uh, British underdog stories that I really, really enjoy. Because as I always say when it comes to films like this, which are quite predictable and straightforward on one level, if you hit those beats effectively, and I'm swept up in the story regardless of its predictable nature and other, you know, beats that, you know, anyone can see coming, then that is all I can ask for in a film like this. And I feel like this film did a really, really good job with that, with characters who were very empathetic, who, uh, you know, you're, you're rooting for regardless of, you know, whether they're successful on a golf course or in this, in this instance on a dance floor as well um so yeah i find it very easy to get swept up in all of that it's very very well cast as well uh, which i'm sure we're going to get into but i i had a blast with this one it was very heartwarming yeah and i wonder i mean a lot of this movie revolves around mark rylance's performance uh again we've been talking about him quite a lot recently <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, let's talk yeah if you could tell me about a bit about mark rylance and also sally hawkins mm. who i thought I mean, fuck, she's always, she's good in everything, but in this film in particular. Mm, mm. I think Mike, Mark, Mike, my good friend Mike. <laughs> uh, 
Mark Rylands, I find it really interesting that he's had such a a successful stage career. He's the go-to player. Like when people talk of the greatest act- theatre actor, <laughs> they talk about Mark Rylands. And it's so interesting that he's suddenly kind of uh, tra- like tra- traversed from the stage to screen now from Wolf Hall. And obviously we've seen him pop up in various capacities. Uh, uh, weirdly, in Don't Look Up, <laughs> Don't Look Up, um, in a very uh, affected performance, which... In a way, I feel like this is this some there's some similarities between the character, even though it's like a a tech it's billionaire. The teeth. It's the teeth, but also I think what Mark Rylance does as an actor, there's so much going on. Like he has ticks, he creates like a body, like his body is constantly reacting to things, mm-hmm. or or like it's not just about what's on the page. It's there's the way he carries himself, the way he kind of like shuffles his nose or like, like I don't know, licks his... Uh, there's there's so many different things going on um, that I think really makes him stand out as an actor because I think that's in similar, you know, I think about like Nicolas Cage and Pig, like just those little moments that he does. That's not probably not in the script, but it's just like what he wants to bring to it to create this this human being beyond what's mm-hmm. on the page and make it feel lived in and someone that you can recognise. So... I really rate that. And I think Mark Rylance, um, his, he's got this real, like, endearing quality to him. You really can imagine anyone else playing this character. Um, and I think he's got a weirdness to him that suits the kind of whimsy mm-hmm. of this movie. And I would say, I mean, as much you can say it's by the Duke and that, like, as a guy of a certain age kind of doing something, I do think there's that's about it that's in common i think this one this film just the direction the narrative has is far bolder i'd say it has more in common with the electrical life of louis wayne um or even personal history of david Copperfield, and that feeling this kind of sense of freshness um and kinetic energy and kind of um exploring cinema beyond the very grounded realism of the surroundings i love the moments where you know, he kind of flies mm. or, you know, I love the way that when he looks back, they do, they kind of really, um, when they're doing flashbacks, we have like a, a kind of box frame <laughs> um, of it. So, you know, this is in the past and it's quite beautifully shot in that way. Like, I love all the tricks and techniques that um, they're doing to really just make it feel like add this magical realism to it, even though it is a very grounded story of something happening real, it kind of elevates it to make it a story that is actually should be worthy of our attention, but also just um, admiration, I think, as well. I think he, they really respect Morris. <laughs> Morris. Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the old Maurice. And I, yeah, and I think that kind of, you know, the working class experience of wanting more for your life but obviously sometimes that's not always the case in the generational thing I mean certainly again like it's it's stepdads and their kids I can't help it it moves me to my core uh so that really moved me and sorry I have to talk to a lot right now yeah so. no I that also hit me deeply um in terms of what it's saying about the sacrifices parents make even in terms of what it's saying about the importance of dreams, regardless of where you're at in your life and pursuing that, all of that really hit the spot for me. Yeah, I really liked the relationship between Morris 
<laughs> Maurice. And um, Maurice. <laughs> and his mm. oldest son, played by Jake Davies, and the way that the simple idea of this son, I think, being the first in the family to have a university education, mm-hmm. suddenly it's like they can't communicate to each other. And that's so heartbreaking, but there's a beautiful and quite hopeful way that it's handled. And um, I guess, like, the. Oh God, it's an annoying way to say it, but like the class consciousness of the movie. Even though I would say like it's kind of like the Duke and that inevitably it's it's not really questioning the system. It's celebrating individual people who, you know, by happenstance are able to overcome mm-hmm. the system. So there's like a limit to that commentary. But yeah, yeah I think well, you're so right about that because it's like they're all going to lose their jobs, <laughs> <laughs> the shipping thing. Yeah. And it's kind of like, oh, well, don't worry, you're not going to lose your job because you're not your, your son's person. But then, oh, no, you've embarrassed mm-hmm. them. <laughs> so yeah, that's, but like that's a such weird... a thing with, like, yeah. this genre of film is, like, that's how they always work is that it celebrates an individual, like, breaking out of it or a group of individuals. But there's often, like, a, a barrier. And that's why they're so popular, I think, because people get to go and like cheer and go yeah but they never have to actually question anything and they could go away which i don't think is the fault of this individual film i think it's a thing it's kitchen sink magical realism (laughs) yeah i guess one more thing i want to add before we wrap up is um i don't have you guys seen other films by craig roberts because yeah it's very different to eternal beauty but the same kind of because i think did you see eternal beauty I, I, see, I love Eternal Beauty. No, but I like amazing. it a lot. But it's that kind of talking about mental health. And obviously Sally Hawkins was in that. And the way he articulates certain feelings and emotions, not into a traditional way, but by using, um, I don't know, making it like using different colours and aesthetic and changing the cinematic technique. So it kind of you go into this sort of like dream world as well. Mm. And I think in a way that's kind of, here but it's not as obviously that was quite a lot darker yeah but it's so interesting because like you know craig roberts he got his as an actor his big moment was in submarine the richard iowadi movie and then he was also in rich iowadi's other movie the double and i love this idea that like as a director he's clearly taken so much inspiration from like the directors that he's worked with as an actor but I love, I've loved like watching his movies and watching him grow and like see his voice develop, where he's using that same sort of cine literate style. I guess there's like there's like a lot of French uh, new wave inspiration and like the camera, uh, the whip pans in this movie. But he's he's like able to deploy it in very different ways, which is why Phantom of the Open and Internal Beauty are so different, but they're still kind of like using the same vocabulary. Mm. Uh, I just think it's cool. I like it. So and the production design, that. I will just want to add as well. Um, I think it's, yes. I think, I mean, I know it's like the go-to person for this, but I feel like Wes Anderson is very ornate and makes very careful choices. And I think what this film makes very specific choices in terms of fashion, their house, there's certain little bits that makes you really feel like this was that mm-hmm. time. Even down to like, I love the twins <laughs> and disco <Yeah>. dancing <laughs> outfits, you know. I thought, yeah, I really like that, uh, the way that was kind of built, the world building, I suppose. I thought that was really well done. 
And also I like the <laughs> thing where, sorry, but also it's just really funny. <laughs> There's some really funny moments where like, where, where you, you kind of like, how is this mm-hmm. happening? How has this guy been able to like get his way into the British Open? Not just once, but yeah. several, <laughs> several times. So it's both very funny, but also kind of very mm-hmm. melancholy. Yeah. And I enjoyed Vis Ifans's uh, solid performance as well <laughs> as the villain inverted commas mm-hmm. of the film. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to our screen stream or skit. Aman, what's your judgment? This is my favorite film of the week, Screen. I thought you were going to say favorite film ever. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah. Yeah, I'm going to say screen. And also, shout out uh, to the critic who months ago decided to detail much of the plot (laughs) of this movie, despite me doing a few passive-aggressive, don't spoil the movie. Uh, I was seeing Roderick and this person basically spoiled it a lot, but the fact that I was able to enjoy it, even knowing the spoilers. Wow. Yeah, so sorry, that was me also being passive-aggressive about that, but screen this, (laughs) and also to that critic, do better. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I would also say screen. I saw this very quick. I saw this at a like public, not a critic screening, like a public screening at my local picture house, and the audience loved it. Oh my god, they were hooting and hollering. <laughs> it was so nice. It was really nice. I'm um, trying to imagine what seeds would engender that reaction now. Well, I don't want to give it away because it's like they, some of the jokes, they like had huge reactions and I just thought it was really nice. <laughs> they might not have a huge reaction in Liverpool though, given how much of a nice treatment they give to a Sun reporter. <laughs> Fuck that noise. <laughs> well, you know, in this movie, Morris would actually be called Maurice. So <laughs> we're going to the correct world of correct names (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i don't actually know the history of the name maurice morris so i apologize if if there is like a reason why english people say morris it's paris 13th district cool From Paris to Berlin and every disco I get in, my heart is pumping for love, pumping for love. Yeah, there's a lot of love pumping in this uh, adaptation of uh, American cartoonist Adrian Tomine. He he did a graphic novel of the same name called Paris 13th District. Although in France they call it, is it Arredossement? How would you say it? Uh, Les Olympiades. Yeah. Oh, the district is arrondissement. Yeah. Yeah, But the actual 13th district in Paris is called Les Olympiades. Oh, Les Olympiades. Because it was built up in the 70s, like around, I think it was like around the Olympics, but it's a, it's like a very, for context, it's, it's like a very sort of newer area of the city and it's very busy and like exciting and diverse and Mm. you kind of see that in the movie. Wait, wait, d'accord. So this follow is set. This is shot in black and white, uh, and it follows three young people. There's call center worker Emily, teacher Camille, uh, Camille, and student Nora. Uh, They meet through circumstances of life, love, and work. 
their sex lives also intertwine, not at the same time, but there's some crossover. Uh, and they learn to navigate their relationships with each other, the families themselves, and find new purpose. So this is directed by Jacques Adiard, who directed The Sisters Brothers and the amazing A Prophet, A Prophet, Le Prophet. Sorry, I'm going to need to stop doing accents now. Um, I'm try- I always feel like when I do French, though, you should do it with an accent because it sounds better. I don't know. Am I doing okay, Clarice? You're doing good. Okay. <laughs> Merci. It stars uh, Lucy Zhang, Noemi Molon, and Makita Samba. Uh, Noemi, we love her. Love doing Jumbo. <laughs> did you? What did you just say? Jumbo. Isn't that what you just said? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a slight delay, so I went jumbo and you went boo. Okay. <laughs> uh, also a portrait of a lady on fire. Um, so love her. So, okay, that's, I suppose, as character studies, really, Amon, what did you, what did you quite, in, did what, you, what did you enjoy or didn't enjoy about, I suppose, the three protagonists, main protagonists of, of, of this kind of intertwining story? Yeah, I think with all three protagonists, there's a really good balance between boldness and insecurity and how they flip between either of those extremes and everything in between as the film goes on, I think is really, really well done. Um, And the performances within that are great. Uh, I particularly liked uh, Lucy Zhang um, as Emily. Uh, who, <laughs> who is uh, yeah? I, I think she's I think she's a newcomer as well. I haven't seen anything, but on the basis of this, she's got she's got a very bright future ahead of her. Yeah, Clarice. I mean, it really gets into kind of the sticky reality of sexual relationships that, and why we why we have them, and I suppose what we're oftentimes what it's distracting us from. Or what? Why are we using sex as a kind of uh, I don't know, like a uh, not a therapy tool, but like a, maybe sometimes an unhealthy way to live life because it's in a way easier to have non be non-committal mm. than it is to kind of invest in it and then and then really have to kind of work on yourself to be a good partner. <laughs> how do you think? Uh, how, how how do you think that kind of handled it? Not just I suppose from. A female perspective because obviously we've got two central female characters but also that the male perspective as well they're all kind of a bit fucked up when it comes to their sex lives yeah and I, I i kind of take everything that you said and then also apply it to the location that it's taking place in because for me um like it is it is a movie about paris i think my grandmother might have lived in les olympiades because mm. i remember the area that she lived in and it looked really similar <laughs> I'm not sure though, but um, I think it's it's about this idea of being in a city that is so like you see this the all these building these tower blocks and it's like this concrete maze and then he shoots like in the call centers that Emily works in and it's just so it's just people like walking and busy and papers and like constant moving and energy and it's quite claustrophobic and it's quite chaotic. And for me, it's about how that feeling of when you're all living on top of each other, like that influences how you move through the world. And so that's why all these these 
uh, love affairs or like sexual relationships are so jumbled <laughs> because they live in this like they live in this loud world this loud confusing world and all they're trying to do is understand themselves and understand themselves through each other and i particularly liked nora's character who like has some real like very feels very insecure about her sexuality and like her sexual self so she has this incident where <laughs> someone mistakes her for a cam girl or mm -hmm. i think she's like a cam girl slash porn star um and she reaches out to this woman and says, hey, <laughs> you really, we really look like each other. And then they start this, um, they develop this relationship with each other that I found, I loved because it's like, Nora's able to look at this other version of herself that she really wants to be, which is sexually confident and liberated. And like by developing, yeah, by developing this relationship, she, she really starts to understand herself better. And it's such an, it's like a really unusual way to look at it, but I thought it was like a great way to look at it. I yeah. guess. I think even having it as a screen, it mm. emphasizes that kind of like mirror. Like if you yes. could talk to yourself, what would that conversation be like? And I think it was really well done in the sense of like unpacking. And I think for all of them, there's, there's clearly some residual trauma from their upbringing, from their family life that has affected how they see themselves. You know, whether it's Emily who there's the, the kind of sense of her being, you know, a ridiculous pressure to achieve something and not being able to deliver on that, I suppose, immigrant promise. I think also the fact that we very rarely see, I mean, I don't know how many French movies you've seen where we've had a, French Chinese lead uh, in it. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I think, like, <laughs> I think, I, I like Irma Vet. <laughs> it's like the only one where I've seen, but that she's like the only English one or British Hongkongese on there in the in the in the cast. Um, and then we have um, Camille, who just is very like, you know, he's very sexually promiscuous and knows what he wants, but he's also quite cold and doesn't actually. And he, he's actually quite a bit of a snob. Um, and I, and that's coming from a background where they might not have had much. And where he's like, I think the, inter the relationship with his sister is just really beautiful. I love the fact that she also has a mm. stutter. I feel like we don't see... We always see men with stutters. We very rarely see women with stutters. And I mm. love the way they kind of explored that. And like how, you know, his um, arrogance, I think there is about his kind of navigation of the world his understanding of the world how what he believes he should be doing and you know that creating the tension between himself and Emily in the start of it because you know he you know she's she's works in a call center he's like doing his PhD there's that kind of thing and then the idea what he thinks he does he thinks he's who he should be with and that brings it in complicates with Nora and I think it's it's a really great way of all of them through they're unpacking they're kind of I don't know the prejudices that they have that are not only in inhibiting their own their own love but also kind of like keeping people at a distance um I thought oh that was just beautifully handled also let's I mean um we got after talking about deep water <laughs> and the tepid also or or should I say intentionally brackets 
tepid, <laughs> depending if you're my, myself or Clarice <laughs> speaking that statement. How do we think? Because I found it just, just so beautiful and actually really erotic, some of those scenes, the way they were shot, Amon. Yeah, they weren't tepid. Um. <laughs> Put that on the poster, not tepid. <laughs> yep, not tepid. I'm on Woman, Data Black Podcast. I I I I put that poster quote up with, with pride. Um, yeah, nah. sorry. <laughs> I pictured you like getting a poster and just drawing on it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody send me a Paris Thirteenth District poster and a sharpie. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, they were what deep water should have been. Uh, in that regard it was really well, well done I really liked the because this is all in black and white and I think um the way that like it that really adds to the beauty and like the eroticism of the sex scenes because with black and white you always get such a a high contrast so there's like the little like gaps between the bodies like it feels like <laughs> it feels like photography the kind of like slightly abstract photography where it's like is it this thing or is it this thing so mm. they're you're conscious that they're always bodies but then sometimes they kind of don't look like bodies and i i think there yeah there was like a real aesthetic application to how these sex scenes were shot but also they felt realistic and they weren't like, I don't know. Like, they they weren't trying to, I guess, over-eroticize it. No. Like they just felt like... I just felt like I was watching people have sex, have fuck. Like. I guess what I really enjoy is is the the focus on female pleasure. Um, yes. There's so many moments where it's actually seeing... You don't feel... I think... Sometimes there's a sense that women are only doing things because they think the man wants them to do it. But I got a sense a lot of the time that uh, these women are kind of, they're exploring it themselves and they want to try stuff. I think, you know, Emily's character is clearly in touch with Mm -hmm. her sexual self and what she likes from it. Um, But she's also kind of, you know, there's a great line where she says, uh, sex first, then, I don't know, work it out later. Mm-hmm. the Chinese quote or something and it's like oh oh I know that line very well uh, I've had that line for a long time um and then obviously with like Nora I think like you know she's uncertain but she's also you know there's kind of such a suggestion that she's frigid I don't think she is frigid she's just kind no. of she doesn't know what gets her off yet but I think she's willing to to explore it um I really like I really like. also can I just say something right is it are you, if you're French, are you legally obliged to have a bush? Because I, every person in this, every French girl in this had a bush. And I was like, oh. It's way more normalized. In hey, Paris. look. It's not. Vive la yeah. bush. Yeah, there's no, there's much less of an expectation to shave in France. Which yeah, I think is no, that, they're my people. I'm going to Paris in yeah. June. There's lots of like problematic aspects to French feminism, but that's not my Oh, problem. like let's not get into, <laughs> let's go into that Catherine yeah. Deneuve siding, whatever. But anyway. Yeah, um, but that's the one thing that they, they really get right in France. <laughs> um, Amon, you mentioned um, about heritage. And I also, I think, again, like when we've seen stuff like The Farewell, um, yeah. and even from something I read much recently called Lilting I think there's a really interesting um, I don't know the kind of relationships between in Chinese family because of the, the respect for grandparents and 
and and I suppose there's something about Emily living in the in the apartment that her grandma lived in. Um, you know, was that quite moving? Was that quite moving to you? Tell me a bit about how you felt that kind of aspect of it was portrayed as much as this is about, you know, sex and relationships. It's also about family and heritage. For the most part, uh, I thought that was done really, really well. I just wish we spent a bit more time on it. Um, I feel the film is busy with all these different characters and where they are emotionally, sexually, all the rest of it, that that storyline of the grandmother with Alzheimer's isn't given the time it deserved. I would have liked to have had more screen time uh, with Emily reacting to it and also conversing with her sister. Um, like that relationship is really, really interesting. <laughs> the sister must be so irritated with her in terms of like she's calling her for the most ridiculous things. Um, but I would, I wanted more from that, especially once, especially once a big event happens within that storyline. I wanted more from that. I found it very cathartic. I think uh, uh, Clarice, did you have any final thoughts before we move on to our hot and our equally hot? Take. Um. Uh, the just when they were going because there's they're real estate agents in this, and I go like, those French apartments are real nice. <laughs> <laughs> those Parisian apartments, they're very nice, and I'm sad that I don't live in one. Final thought. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Good. Good cinematography by Paul Gwilhaim. Yeah. That's his name. Gilles. And I also like the score by Roan. Uh, Dubstep. Love me a bit of dubstep. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> what? Sorry. Just imagine you raving to dubstep. Love me some dubstep. I love me some dubstep. You were not. Last week, that's <laughs> the old chair dancing. What were we listening to? Yeah. All, the, all the old classics from 2006 at All Star Lanes. Which oh, Clarice yeah. had not heard of, any of them. <laughs> she had not. That was mad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I right. was deep in my indie phase then, so I was listening to a very narrow selection of music. <laughs> okay, so it's gonna. It's, I think it's available exclusively in Curzon cinemas. Okay, uh, it's also available on, on home Curzon home cinema as well. Um, so you can watch it on demand or in cinemas. Uh, so what are we saying? Screen, stream, or skip? Clarice, screen. Yay. Uh, I was about to call you Carmela Khan. <laughs> that's his uh, Scottcast name. I'm on. It is indeed. Screen from me too. Okay, and it's a screen from me. Please enjoy uh, while we crack on with our Yes, we uh, had a hot drop of Marvel this week with the first official trailer of Marvel's Ms. Marvel, uh, <laughs> starring uh, Iman Vellani as the eponymous... Eponymous? Eponymous? <laughs> Is that how you say it? Eponymous. Eponymous? eponymous? How do you say it? Eponymous. 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 <laughs> it's the titular role. <laughs> that one. She play, she's playing uh, Kamala Khan. Uh, and then we've also got in it uh, Adamus Knight, who's playing Kareem. I like it. My brother's called Kareem. So there we go. Bit of rep. Uh, we've got Matt Lintz playing her best friend, Bruno Corelli. Uh, who else have we got? 
Muniba Khan, uh, no, that's the character, Zenobia Shroff, who's playing Muniba Khan, got Javina Springer playing Taisha Hillman, Yasmin Fletcher, Nakia Bahadi, that's her, one of her best friends as well. Yeah, and it's actually, uh, so it's, sh- the, sh- the head writer is uh, Bisha K. Ali, she wrote a few episodes of, I think she wrote it on the writing team for for Loki, uh, she also did that series Four Weddings. The, ad- the, the Mindy Kaling adaptation. Oh, yeah. um, I was at a book launch on Tuesday night and she was there and I was like, Bisha, nice to meet you. Oh, what's going on with my girl's powers? You don't have to tell me anything. And she said, you're right. I don't have to tell you that thing. And then we nodded and we just carried on with our lives. <laughs> Good story, Anna. Yeah, cool. I, I saved you all. These are all, my, these are all my kind of tidbits from my random celebrity meetings. Anyway, so... I think one of the big things uh, that, that I was talking about is the fact that in the comics, she's a polymorph. She has a power. She's an inhuman who whose inhumanness gets act gets triggered um, when a terrigen <laughs> when it's what is it a terrigen mist erupts yeah. it basically comes down and she's in New Jersey and that makes her turns into it brings out her powers you know mm-hmm. as the inhumans do. And then her powers are, are shape-shifting and she's a polymorph. So when it first manifests, when she kind of takes the guise of her, her hero, Captain Marvel, and so she actually dressed, you know, changed her skin, looked like her, played the role until she mm-hmm. became more accepting of herself and then allowed herself to be Ms. Marvel. Um, and so she does things like, you know, she, it's basically Mr. Fantastic, isn't it? But she does a thing where it's really cute, where it's like, <laughs> she doesn't know how to make her hand big. And she's like, in biggin. You know, from um, yeah. <laughs> from the Simpsons, yeah. I don't know, she's using it. But alas, uh, as uh, some people are calling it online, they're saying she's more like Purple Lantern. Uh, she <laughs> seems to be wearing, I don't know if you saw it in the trailer, but she seems to be wearing like a cuff. And yep. that seems to be giving her like uh, phonic, I don't know, what, what would you call it, power? Like, what would you call it? Fat plasma valves? Phase? I don't know, plasma valves? Powers? I don't know. Let's just go with powers. Powers, she's got powers. <laughs> the, the powers, the purple, <laughs> they might be from the same energy source that Captain Marvel got her powers. Go she has a big yeah. fist in the trailer, though. Right, but that's a, that's a purple her, fist. Understand. That's okay. a purple fist. So a polymorph yeah. is someone who's able to manipulate their own body to create bigger in size. You know how Green Lantern is able to right. like use energy? He gets the ring, and suddenly anything he thinks of, he can create with the thing. Mm-hmm. Like he made a race car, I remember that. Moment. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, sure, she's gonna okay. have a big fist, but it's not actually her fist. It's a per. It's not technically I her fist. See, okay. So, and and personally, I'm a bit upset about that because I feel like that's part of her identity. I think if if the reason for it is because they want to bring Mister Fantastic into the new, you know, back into the MC, into the MCU and want him to be the sole polymorphic character. That sucks. <laughs> um, but that's kind of my qualms with it. Other than that, it looks quite good, quite funny. I like the way it kind of captures a lot of the microaggressions. Like, I like the bit where it's like, it's Carmela. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, certain things that she has to deal with. I'm very excited, as long as it's good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, uh, Amon, what's your what's your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'm mostly in agreement. Uh, I think the Miss Marvel comics are fantastic. If you have not read them, go and seek them out. They are really, really good. And the spirit of those comics is already coming through in this trailer. I like that. Um, In regards to the power change, I'm not that mad at it because 
I think the writer of those comics, G. Willow Wilson, has stated that she was thinking of the comics medium when she was uh, writing Miss Marvel and writing those comics. Putting those stretchy powers into live action can look goofy. And like we've seen in the Ian Gifford um, Fantastic Four movies that the stretchy powers didn't look all that great in that movie. So if they still need to fine-tune a few more things before they introduce that power set into the MCU, then I'm good with that. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, well, I'm hopeful that the storytelling that they give to Miss Marvel to explain how she gets her powers uh, in this show uh, will be sort of effective and good and all the rest of it. Um, I'm also intrigued about how much of a role Captain Marvel herself is going to play in this show. I find it interesting that we're already getting Miss Marvel, even though in present day MCU, Captain Marvel, to our eyes anyway, has not had much of a presence because if you remember her solo film was set in the 90s when Kamala wasn't around, basically. Um, so I'm intrigued just how much the public know about Captain Marvel at the start of this show, how much of the final battle in Avengers Endgame is now public knowledge, for instance. I'm very intrigued about the answer to those questions. But I love the fact that, you know, Miss Marvel is getting the shine she is getting because not only with this show, but on the recent Marvel Avengers game, which wasn't all that good gameplay wise, but that was another, that was a game that centered Kamala at the heart of the story because she again in that game is a fangirl uh, who is attending all these Avengers expos, meeting her heroes, wanting to become a superhero, all the rest of it. And that's a really unique place within the MCU to occupy. Um, so I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do with that and all the things that we're getting representation-wise with the arrival of Miss Marvel is just an added bonus to that. So, yeah, fingers crossed and I'm very hopeful. I, like, Captain Marvel did the coolest thing in Avengers Endgame, so I was I scared. mean, what? What? Uh, say, sorry, she flew out of nowhere and ripped through a ship. I'm not saying it like, wasn't cool. A little person comet, like nothing dots that. Yeah, that so cool. what? No, that hold on, so hold on, cool. no, yeah, hold the on. Only thing in that battle that I was like, okay, that's pretty. Sick. See, now you're just talking <laughs> nonsense. See, like I'm not saying that what Captain Marvel did wasn't great, but it sure as hell wasn't greater than Captain America wielding Mjolnir for the first time. It yeah, sure as hell wasn't better than Captain America saying no, Avengers Assemble. There's a difference between there's yeah, but like. There's a difference. <laughs> the significance <laughs> of him picking up Molnir is not the same as her crashing through and just taking out an entire ship. I'm like, not saying it wasn't cool, but there's, there's levels to this. Yeah, no, but I'm, they're I'm different. They're false inside, equivalents. You can't, can't yeah. say they're the same thing. They're false equivalents. Like I'm not saying the, they're the same thing. I'm saying that Captain America is better. <laughs> uh, no, well. but like, okay, I'm, I'm imagining I'm in the Marvel Universe. Like, it's just like I don't think the average person would know what Mjolnir. No, like, like, whoa! Did you see? But like, I mean, oh, let's know. Like it's, like it's like a guy holding a hammer. Well, I could know nothing about superheroes. Be yeah, like, exactly, exactly. Just fucking ripped yeah. through a shit. It's good like, for Marvel fans, sick. but within the interior yeah. of this world, it's not as cool as a, me, as a bystander. Yeah, he's like average shit, bystander. Wait a sec. Are we gonna like? die again like fully this time not just half of us 
if you were watching that, I'll, I've seen the footage because there's obviously probably footage about it. And also, like, I kind of feel like clearly everyone knew what was going on. They had a, they they probably had they had Iron Man things in Spider Man. It's very clear that what happened at the Battle of what's it called? Where where was it? Battle of what? Wasn't it at the Avengers? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know the Avengers like... Mansion battle. Let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> the battle of the green screen um <laughs> uh it's very clear that everyone kind of knows what was going on so i feel like it's gonna be very easy that captain marvel would be heroic figure especially as that that whole part of place is in new jersey isn't it the compounds in new jersey miss marvel is from new jersey like captain marvel was still around for five years she's like this really cool alien person who's come back and back and forth you know i don't think there's any danger of uh Carmela not knowing and that bad bitch that she, is <laughs> i'm not saying it's not knowing but again I, i'm i'm hopeful that they'll at least fill in some of the blanks in terms of captain marvel becoming more of a presence on earth within the five years between endgame and yeah the i'm, I'm sure i mean i'm sure they will but also we've got the other movie as well i think i don't think it's a hard i don't think they have to like really do a lot of like exposition of what she's been up to i think they'll do it very easily um just because again like female superheroes like her coming back her being the power most powerful person between her and wonder they're the two most powerful i mean they're the strongest avengers yeah uh, and no one's like and we all know that's true because kevin feige has said they didn't actually they had to find ways to stop wanda and Captain Marvel from saving the day because they're technically they needed to let the men do it. I mean, I think Wonder being the most powerful, don't disagree. I think Captain Marvel and Thor are right there neck and neck. Okay. All right. Whatever you say. <laughs> Sorry. Until I see Thor fly through a ship. But hold on. Okay. Like... See, see, now 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 I've got to stick up for my guy. Thor Sorry. and Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't no that wasn't a ship though it was just some people Thor and Wakanda is a better moment for me than Captain Marvel and, then, and again this is not me oh, I, I, I love that it is man oh my god you trying it's not a sexist thing I'm oh, just saying that's what they all say me thinks the man sex- doth protest too much <laughs> but if we're talking about a numbers game Captain Marvel did a full Death Star explosion on her own what did Thor do? Oh, what? Like, the people in the immediate surrounding? No. <laughs> I'm holding myself back. Calculate the numbers. Thor and Wakanda is Thor the do? best moment in the MCU to date. Oh, God. Like, okay. <laughs> Who died and made you queen of best moments? <laughs> I'm just, in, in, in my opinion, apparently I have to qualify that. Um, all right, Big Even Lebowski. <laughs> no, yeah. No. Um, so Clarice, <laughs> are you are you sold on what Miss Marvel might offer? It's also it feels like to me it's quite young, a very younger version, quite young version of her. Um, not that she isn't a young character, but she's around Spider Man age, which is interesting. Yes. I like. These are, so I don't I don't know anything about this character. I'll be upfront. <laughs> so I'm just watching it as like a thing, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm really intrigued by. It. I really like the setup of doing um, a character who is who is like a fan girl because 
to bring it to to territory I understand <laughs> in Star Wars, like I really loved having Rose Tico in The Last Jedi and being able to see through her eyes how she sees characters like Finn and Rey. I think it's a really um like there's a lot of room there to explore what what exactly it means to be like a ro- to be a role model, to be a figure of inspiration, um to actually have the have the material effect of how inspiring uh Captain Marvel and other characters of the MCU have been for kids like watching the movies to have that in universe. Yeah. Seems really cool. I'm excited about that. But again, I don't know anything about this character. I just, and I, she I seems just cool. I also just think given the gross Islamophobia of the Iron Man <laughs> films, uh I feel like this is going to go a lot a long way to represent uh a religion in, in, that is often Hollywood and TV shows have shown in a negative light, even though there's been plenty of people who are Christians who've been terrible things in the name of their God. Um, I, I'm really excited, and not that I'm, you know, I'm I, I'm not religious at all myself, but I think so often because Islam is associated from people of my background, South uh, Southwest Asia, South Asia region, and obviously she's Pakistani American. Um, I'm excited to kind of show that side and obviously have a like a, a cast that again like South Asian is something we have yet to really see uh, uh characters in the MCU you know there's a lot of black representation comparatively I will say this just comparatively uh there's loads of white representation but when it comes to ethnic minorities there's often a kind of a pecking order and who gets seen and who gets certain roles and I definitely think like South Asian has had limited opportunities within superhero genre um uh, compared to others and obviously it shouldn't be a case of you know ethnic minorities fighting over the same roles I'm just glad they've expanded it now where actually rather than just having one or two characters who might be South Asian they're actually saying no let's have more characters who are people of colour uh, and from different backgrounds so I think this is going to be and it's going to be representative because I don't know about you but like you know especially when I was living in London in some of these cities as well it wasn't as white as we're constantly told it is think spider-man you know i would say for the tom holland stuff even though they you know, didn't risk it by doing a miles morales one they still try to show that diversity and having like tony rev laurie who's obviously latina uh, zendaya uh we have ned and like you know all that so i'm kind of excited to see all that but we'll see if they do it justice and uh she still keeps what is is good about what why Miss Mar- Marvel, my Kamala Khan is great because I do think in humans being human is a big part of her background, and so if they erase that and suddenly just give her a cuff, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but I don't want to judge too hard just yet. Yeah, I think part of the reason why there may be a slight origin change is because that in human show crashed and burned so hard. Um, and Feige is basically classified a persona non grata <laughs> right now in the MCU. I don't know if there are any plans afoot to try and do that right in the future. Um, but yeah, Also, I would add from an... I think people would get confused because, like, we have the Eternals, understand what mm-hmm. they are. X-Men, understand what they are. I don't know what humans mm-hmm. are, and I feel like if you threw that into the mix, people like me might get, might get confused. Mm, yeah. I yeah, it'll be interesting. Understand. It'll be interesting. Oh, God, here we go. Here we go for the next 20 years. Okay, so any more spicy hot takes about Miss Marvel? 
I've got hot takes about this other discussion we were having, but we'll save it for. I'm just time. saying, calculate the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Who did the most damage? Amon, it's so funny when Amon gets annoyed about something, he goes very quiet. <laughs> and you can just see they're like. This isn't even an argument. This is just a factual calculation. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, it's an argument, all right. Uh, Mom, Dad, don't fall out. <laughs> Show me the numbers. <laughs> okay, right. Well, they have a little tiff. <laughs> it's all love here. It's all love and hate. Ah. <laughs> uh, thank you for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do subscribe, rate, and leave us a review if you love the podcast. It really does make a difference. Uh, and tweet us at Fade to Black. Pod, if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week, don't tweet us if you have nothing nice to say. You know who you are. <laughs> Follow us at Hannah Flint or at Hannah and S. Flint on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. I am at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram, and Thor is better than Captain Marvel on TikTok. <laughs> uh... Uh, well, I don't know if we're going to be film friends after that drop, <laughs> but, but well, <laughs> it's time. <laughs> it's time to fade to black. <laughs>